Welcome to the City Podcast, a ministry of Ambassadors Church in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website at wearethecity.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you are blessed by today's word. We're still in Walk Worthy. This is just what we're doing now. Uh, we may be here till 2019. I don't know. But Ephesians chapter 4 is just so good. And, and I want to encourage you to, to get on the podcast to, to catch any parts that you've missed. So we're going back there this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Uh, that's what we'll be reading this morning. And I'm praying that you will lean in to what God wants to teach us together today. If you're there, say, I'm there. All right, let's read, guys. Verse 11 says this. And he gave us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature Manhood. I want to go back once again to verse number 12. It says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip. Equip is the key word this morning. The word of God. Let's pray. God, we love you. We are so grateful for how amazing you are. And uh, we're ready to just receive a word that we know will transform us. And, and so, God, I pray that uh, you would take advantage of this moment, Lord God, and, and, and Father, we're here, we're, we're waiting, we're ready. And so, Jesus, we just pray that now your Holy Spirit would do the speaking so that we can do the changing, oh God. I pray, Father, that lives and hearts would be molded by what's about to, to be proclaimed this morning, God. Your word never returns void. And so, Jesus, there's no such thing as wasted time around your word. And so, God, we thank you that we are part of a Bible-believing Jesus preaching church. God, that we don't uh, just take one piece and, and skew it, but God, we are looking at the whole thing. And God, we thank you that the whole story surrounds the love of God as given to us through the person of Jesus Christ. We love you and we thank you this morning in your name. Amen. 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 So, uh, husbands in the room, uh, you know I always got to start a story with something that has to do with something in my life. Uh, my wife will, I've told you this, periodically, by periodically, I mean at least twice weekly, uh, uh, go, to, go to Target. We have this planter that needed to be hung up, a planter, because uh, millennials are into plants, so uh, there's this white, double-stacked planter that she wanted to hang. At this point, we're hanging so much stuff from our ceiling, we're not going to have anything on the floor pretty soon. <laughs> we got a hammock hanging from the ceiling, we got... A bike hanging from the ceiling. We got string lights hanging from the ceiling. Pretty soon we're going to have nothing on the floor. Everything's going to be up in the ceiling. So, so she asked me to hang up this planter. But, you know, we've been doing a lot of stuff at the church. My goal is every Sunday you come in, you notice something new. Like, oh, that frame wasn't there last Sunday. Like, that, that couch wasn't positioned. That rug is new. So we do a lot, of, a lot of stuff around here during the week. You know, just kind of small little adjustments. So all of my screws and nails and hammer and screwdriver and all my tools from home, I'm not a handyman, but I, I, I have enough of a, of a hand of things that I don't need to call Aflac for everything, right? I, 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 I do a little bit of it myself. So 
But all my tools are here at the church. It's in my office, in my desk, in the drawer, like out of sight. And, uh, and so she asked me politely, kindly, lovingly once, uh, can, you put up, can you hang up this planter? I said, sure, I'll get to it right away. But all my stuff is at church. So I really don't have right now what it takes to, to put it up. So just leave it there on the table. I'll get around to it. How long did that planter stay on that table? Wild guess. A week? Yeah, around, around there until, you know, the conversation is rehad. Like, look, this planter's been sitting here on this table now for several days. Uh, we're going to have some people over this, this, this week. We need to have this planter up because I have plants to put in the planter. So I'm like, all right, l- let me just go look through the, we have this closet where we just, you know that closet in your house where you just keep like everything? Like, you don't know, it's the vacuum, it's the laundry basket, it's the coats, it's the whatever, it's just that closet. So we have that closet. I'm like, I'm going to go to that closet and see if I can find, so I kind of rummage and, and, and search and, and look and end up finding some, some stuff and, and I'm like, all right, we're going we're gonna to put up the planter. And I got the planter up, finally, right? Like, it, it, it took a little while and a little bit of persistence on her end, but my, my point of this whole thing is if you want to find an excuse for inaction, you'll find it. But the fact is that you most likely have what you already need to do what God has called you to do. You already have it. It's not really a matter of what you don't have. It's about recognizing what you already do have. Like, I, man, my excuse was quick. Hey, my tools are at church. My nails are at church. Granted, I'm at church every day. And I live literally two minutes from here, a stone's throw. Like, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Like, I, I've come here at weirder times. I could have quickly come here, gotten the stuff, gone back, got it done, and not been bothered. But when you want to find an excuse for an action, anything can come up. Oh, man, my back. My feet. My, my, my head. My this, my that, my money. My, you'll find any excuse in the book to not do what you don't feel like doing. But most likely, and in fact, all the time in Scripture, whenever God called somebody to do something extraordinary for him, it turns out that he had already equipped them with what they needed to accomplish the task that he called them to do. You see, God makes no mistakes. When he creates each and every one of us, it says this in Jeremiah, I love this verse, before you, I was formed in my mother's womb. You knew me and called me by name. And I was appointed as a prophet to the nations. Here's the thing. Sometimes we think that God needs to add something onto our life in order to make us effective. What you need is not an add-on. What you just need is his presence to activate the gift that is already deposited on the inside of you. You already have everything that you're going to need to accomplish the task that God has called you. The passion's there. The, the, the gifting is there. All you need is the anointing to activate it, to go forward. And, and so the, the key word today is equipped. Can someone say equipped? equipped. I, I put the mic there so you come out on the podcast. You're equipped for this. You're equipped for it. To be equipped means to have all the resources needed for a required task. You, you have it all. You have everything that you're going to need. This morning... We're going to leave without excuses. We're going to walk out of church today without any uh, stories. We're going to walk out of here without any reasons to stay in in, in an action because I believe and scripture affirms that God has already equipped you to do everything that he called you to do. Can you say amen? Amen. 
but we look at the story of Moses in Exodus chapters 3 and 4, God is not calling him to a small task. God is calling Moses to be the one who would lead a million plus slaves out of captivity through a journey that would end up taking 40 years in the wilderness and end up going to a promised land that God had called up. You, you know the story well. But you, you see, the calling of Moses took place at this burning bush, and, and there's this crazy moment with, with God where, where God is calling him, and yet in two chapters, Moses gives five reasons why he can't do what God called him to do. Can we put up slide number one? Excuse number one, inadequacy. Check this out. Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Have you ever kind of felt like that? Like, but I, me? Now, nah, you, you, you got the wrong person. Me? Who, who, who am I that, that I should be called of God to, to, to do this huge? Have you ever felt inadequate? Inadequacy is a lie from the enemy. I guess that hit home because I got no amens. Inadequacy is a lie from the enemy. In Christ, you are adequate. Many times, if we're feeling inadequate, we'd rather do nothing than try to do something halfway, right? But in Christ... It's funny, when, when you start getting your feet wet, God pulls you all the way in. Because with Christ, there's no such thing as halfway. Either we are zero or a hundred. And so that, that, that's our motto, zero or a, we're either all in or all out. But Moses is here being basically called to go all in. And he's saying, God, who am I? That I should be the, basically what he's saying is like, look, I, I'm, not, I'm not enough. I, I don't have what it takes. Look, you, you can find somebody better, surely, for this task. But, but yet when God is calling somebody, God is not making a mistake. Have you ever texted the wrong person? Yeah. Oh my goodness, most stressful moment, right? <laughs> Ooh. Thank God God doesn't make that mistake when calling, right? Oh, I actually meant, Aaron, how did I get that messed up? It wasn't you, Moses. It, God doesn't change his mind about people. If, if God is calling Moses, God meant to call Moses. So what makes Moses adequate is not Moses' skills. What makes Moses adequate is the fact that God is calling Moses. What qualifies Moses is not Moses. What qualifies Moses is the God who is calling Moses. So if you're going to write down a resume, yes, granted, he's not adequate. He doesn't have what it takes. But just the fact that God tapped Moses on the shoulder means that Mo God thinks Moses is adequate. And if God considers you adequate and equipped and ready, then you are adequate, prepared, and ready to go. You are adequate. You are called. You are equipped. So stop sitting down. You have what it takes. You're adequate. Number two. Number two. What if? 
I don't know if there's any worriers in the house, but we will worry ourselves to death. Then Moses said to God, what if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me another, what if, what is his name? What shall I possibly say to them? Exodus chapter three, verse 13. You know what I love about this verse? This is a made up dialogue. There's no facts here. It's all feelings. God, you've called me, but what if I go over to them, and then what if they say this, and then what if they ask me that, and then what if I say this, and then what will they what if say? And here's what we're doing. We're taking ourselves down a a, a route of possibilities that most likely will not happen. Anxiety is fear of what may or may not happen. Matthew chapter 6 says, each day has enough trouble of its own. So why worry about tomorrow? Let tomorrow worry about itself. Suffice it, each day has its own trouble. And so what God is telling us this morning is that the excuse of what if is not really valid because the God who called you is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same God. God is not only omnipresent in space, he is omnipresent in time, meaning he not only sees yesterday, today, but he sees tomorrow and is already in tomorrow before we even enter into tomorrow. So the what if is already taken care of by the God who has called you. In Christ, there is no what if. There is only a guarantee that if he calls you, he will be with you until the end of time. And this is what it says. In this world, you will have trials, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So you may have a what if, but God has no what ifs. God is never caught off guard by the things that surprise us. God knows, God knew, God will know, God has known. God will forever know what has happened, is happening, will happen, might happen, could happen, should happen. God is already there. God knows. And so you don't need to worry about it. Let God worry about it because God is already in your tomorrows and he has it all taken care of. There's never going to be a day where God's going to stop being God. God has been God. God was God. God is God. God will be God. God is always God. In my circumstances, God is God. In the what if, God is God. In the might be, God is God. In the should be, God is God. In the could be, God is God. God will always be God. Say amen. God got it. In the unemployment, God is God. In the breakup, God is God. In the children far from God, God is God. In the divorce, God is God. In the brokenness, God is God. No matter what happens, God is God. And that's what gives me peace at night is that I don't have to worry about the what if because I know he was, is, and always will be my God. Shout amen. There's no what if. There's no what if. There's no such thing. Imagine this. I need some water. Imagine this, that there has never been a moment ever that God didn't know. If God has handled history, can he not handle my circumstance? 
What if? And, and you know what? My return question will be, well, what if? You notice that difference in tone? Well, what if? Well, what if? Because the what if means that God is still going to be the same God. And so I'm not depending on this world to give me peace. Because the news cycle is crazy right now. You turn on the news one day, hell here, high water there, this there, that the other there. And you know what? What if? Periodically, they'll be like, there's this large rock coming from space toward the earth. And we have to, now there's the space force to handle that, right? Well, what if? Let me tell you something. God is not impressed by our predictions. God is not shaken by our knowledge. God is not removed from his throne because of our powers. God is who he was. God is who he will be. God is always God, and God is in control. In Christ and for the Christian, there is no such thing as a coincidence. There is no such thing as a what if. There is only a divine orchestration of the knowledge of God for my life. And I know that the plans for me will not be thwarted, will not be stopped, will not be frustrated by the plans of the enemy. And no weapon formed against me will prosper. I am a son of the Most High God. I am a child of God. I am not a slave to fear of what may or may not happen. I will stand confidently in my position as a son of God. There is no what if. There is only a is. And that is the great I am is on my side. Can you say amen? Excuse number three is rejection. Rejection. We, 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 well, they're going to reject me. Nobody's going to believe me. Let me tell you something. I started pastoring and preaching at 17. Praise God, but I knew nothing. Trying to lead people that were older than me, younger than me, a pastor's kid, so it's already like, oh, you're doing this because your dad's a pastor. No, I'm doing this because I'm called. Oh, you're doing it because it's the family business. Let me tell you something. It's the father's business. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me. Again, what if? No guarantees. He was right on this one, but we'll talk about that later. Or listen to my voice, for they will say, he's already quoting them. They will say, the Lord, he already, in quotes, the Lord did not appear to you. Fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of man, fear of failure will stop you in your tracks from accomplishing great things for God. And let me tell you something. God told the prophet, and the prophet's going to tell you this morning, even if they listen or fail to listen, do it anyway. If they come, if they don't come, if they applaud, or if they stay silent, preach it anyway. If they like it, if they don't like it, if they're offended by it, if they're all bent out of shape by it, whether they make, whether they're laughing or they're crying or they're grieving or they're mourning or they're shouting, do it anyway. Even if they reject, let me tell you something. Rejection is oftentimes a sign of the favor and the anointing of God because people can't handle the calling of God over your life. So rejection will always follow calling. Can I get a yes? Rejection, man, it happens. Rejection doesn't mean failure. 
Because the one who called you has approved of you. So if, you, if God is for us, who? Who? Shall be against us. Basically, the, if I had the Shane Lima version of the Bible, I'd be like, if God has called me, how dare you be against me? Because if I'm already approved, if I'm already in, if I'm already adopted, there is nothing that anybody can really say that's going to take that knowledge, that conviction, that truth. Because truth can never be negated by falsehood. Only falsehood can be negated by truth. That relationship is always one way. Truth always wins over fiction. Fiction can never win over truth. In every single battle, truth always wins. And, and so for us this morning, I want to remind you that people may have rejected you. And I want to speak to your childhood. Because maybe you grew up in a home or in a situation where you were rejected. Maybe born out of wedlock in a situation where you weren't planned or it wasn't intentional that you were given, that you came into this world. Let me tell you something and let me remind you of this. There is no such thing in the heart of God as a person that is a mistake. There is no such thing. So to be rejected by man, to be rejected by woman, to be rejected by human beings is absolutely no reflection on the heart of God because God ordains you. God has called you. God purposed that you would be in this world. And what the enemy would try to use for your destruction, I believe and I speak to you this morning, God is able to turn it around and use it for your good. You are not rejected. You are accepted. There are no mistakes. There are only children, sons and daughters of the Most High God. And let me tell you something. You may have grown up in a broken home. Broken people are the, are, are, can be and will be used in the hands of an almighty God. And that will not be your story. And that does not have to be your future. Because I believe that there is something called a generational curse, right? Where it passes on. Like there's, and so we kind of accept it as our story. In Jesus' name, that generational curses will be turned into generational blessings. Because I believe God is a God who honors faithfulness up to a thousand generations of those who call and profess his name. And so you are not rejected. You are accepted. Can you tell two people that? You are accepted. You're accepted. And so if God has accepted us, who are we to reject anybody? There are no outsiders. I heard this once. I don't know where, but I heard it. Where there's this, uh, this church that doesn't call the unsaved unsaved. He, they call them pre-believers. I like that. Pre-believers. Meaning, once we speak to them and once we minister the gospel to them, they'll be believers. They're just pre-believers. This morning, this church has been called to grow numerically. Amen. 
like numbers wise. And, I, and Shane, it's not about the numbers. No, but it is. You know why? Because numbers are people. So there's a lot of pre-believers that need to be in those chairs that you're sitting in right now. And I think, I know Ruel, it breaks my heart too that there are unsaved pre-believers too. But this morning, I just, I, I know this for a fact that God wants to prepare the ground here, the church here. And that preparation will require us getting a little bit uncomfortable. A lot, of, a lot of work's being put in here. And I know that God is faithful, that when we are faithful to the harvest, God will send the fruit. Jesus said this, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send more laborers. I think that our growth has been stunted by a lack of laborers. You know, what causes growth is not better preaching. What causes numerical growth is not better worship teams. What causes numerical growth is not better graphics. Because if those things were the three factors, we'd be... What causes growth is laborers. People that are vested in the work of God. Not observers, participants. And so I want to break off of our church any culture of observation where we come here to watch a show and be impressed and then walk out and say that was a good service as if it was about your opinion to begin with. But rather that God would shift and shape this church to be a church of participants where we see the mighty move of God and choose to vest our lives in what God is doing. And with all of that will be brokenness. With all of that will be pain. With all that will be disappointment. Will that, with that will be people coming and going. But I believe that there will be a core of people that will stand up and endure. And our children and our children's children will continue it and carry on that baton. But let me tell you something. Our church is in a neighborhood that does not need rejection. We need acceptance. And so there's going to be people that maybe will cause us to be uncomfortable or make us feel a certain type of way, both here and in Boston. But let me say something. We are not here for the churched. We are here for the unchurched. I'm not here to recruit those that already have a home. We are here to find the pre-believers and get them to know who Jesus Christ is. Because church in Amer- growth of the church in America is stunted. Why? Fastest growing church in America. Usually it's because mad believers are moving there. So the statistics of the church in America are flatlined. You'll see, you'll see growth in certain spots, but a lot of it is already ch- the church. We're just switching seats. That's not growth. That's just moving. What God has called our church, how God has called ambassadors to grow is not by just recruiting the church. That's no kingdom movement. That's stunted growth. That's z- net growth of zero. But God has called this church to be a church that reaches the unchurched. Those that don't yet know Christ. 
And that is kingdom movement. And that is the move of God. And that's what God called us to do. So rejection, fear of reject. Look, we're going to be rejected. That's just part of part of it. But God has called us nevertheless. And so if we are called, we will go. Excuse number four is, but I, but I, but Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent. Either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. People say this guy had a stutter. And so if he's going to be a public speaker to millions, how is he going to have a stutter? And let me tell you something. Moses' weakness was the best backdrop for the power of God. That's why God chooses weak people. Because if it were about your power and your strength, people would give you credit. But when somebody who has nothing stands up and accomplishes great things for God, all the glory will always go back to God. That's why God delights in choosing people like Paul. That's why God delights in choosing people like Matthew. That's why God delights in choosing people like you. Because we are weak, we are needy, and we need him. But I, but I can't. And you know what? You're right. You can't. But God can. Excuse number five, because my time is running low. Not me. Them. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. How many times? How many times has there been an opportunity for you to participate in the move of God right here and right now? And you're like, not me. They got it. They got it. They don't need me there. They, they, don't, they don't need, let me tell you something. We don't need you. God has called you. So, so we say this frequently. You don't have to. You get to. It's a pleasure to be called. Not a task. Not a burden. Not an annoyance. Not a grievance. It's a pleasure. We don't have to. We get to. Moses is like, no, nah, not me. Certainly Joshua would be a better choice. And you know what blows my mind? Absolutely, Joshua is a way better candidate than you are, Moses. Joshua is way better. Better leader, can speak better, younger, I assume better looking. I don't know. Let's just go with it. Better. But God does not look at external appearance. God does not look at the credentials that people may assign to you. God sees the matters of the heart. And so God knew that Moses was in fact the right candidate for the right time. And and so don't compare yourself to anybody else. If God tapped you, he tapped you. If God called you, he called you. And he's not going to change his mind about you. Moses was very ordinary. Very ordinary guy. And, and, And here's the thing. Then this whole conversation happens, right? Two chapters, five excuses. We've gone over and over and over again. And God now says to Moses, Moses, what do you have in your hands? And he's looking, he's like, I got a staff. Now, mind you, this staff was not cut from the wood of Noah's Ark. This thing was not cut from the cedars of Lebanon. It was not some special wood. It was just his staff. And yet God uses the ordinary 
to accomplish extraordinary things. In fact, Moses already had everything that Moses needed to lead the people out of Egypt. That ordinary staff, that wooden staff that nobody would pay any money for, was what God wanted to use to demonstrate the power of God to the Egyptians, to the Israelites, and to the world. And so this morning, I want to remind you, you already have everything that you're going to need to do what God has called you to do. You don't need to add anything, take away anything, wait for anything. God has already equipped you and equipped you fully to do the work that he has called you to do. Amen? I got three questions for you, and we're going to wrap this up. Three questions. Put up the last slide for me. Three questions for you as we leave. What do you have right now? I'm not talking about what you're waiting for because it, here's the thing. Single people are like, no, nah, I'm waiting for a husband. I'm waiting for a wife. No, you're, you got it right now. What do you have right now, today? What do you have? How can God use what you have? And what has been holding you back? What do you have? Oh, I don't really got much. Okay, then not much is what God wants to use. I'm broke, I'm single, I'm this, I'm that. All of it God wants to use. I'm Cape Verdean, I don't speak English, I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't have papers. God wants to use it. There is literally nothing that you can say to God that God is not able to use. What do you have? How do you think God could use it? What's been holding you back? And the what could also be changed to who is holding you back. Let's finish up with Jesus. The task that Jesus had given to him was bigger than the task that Moses had. The task that Moses had was to lead a million Israelites out of slavery into the promised land. But the task that Jesus had was to lead humanity out of sin into salvation. So Moses had a staff. What would Jesus need? If the task would be, Jesus, your job is to save the world. What do you have? Superman cape? Uh, What do you need? Uh, a, a, A secret potion to have supernatural strength? The prayers of the people? No, what is it that you have? If Moses had a staff, Jesus had a cross. And you may look at that cross and be like, look, that's not, you wouldn't put this at the top of the list of stuff to save the world. You would need armies, weapons, planes, the space force. You need something bigger, something mightier. Something that would show the world how awesome God is. Let's have a magic show, God. Let's have a healing session. Surely that'll convince every. No, but what do you have right now? A staff looked insignificant in the hands of Moses, and I'm sure a cross looked insignificant in the eyes of the Romans. It just looked like another day in Rome, another day in Jerusalem. We're just killing somebody else. But little did they know that something insignificant in their eyes was actually the thing God wanted to use to save the world. And today, the cross is not just a cross. 
It is that cross. It is the only cross. And Jesus who died on it is the one who has led all of us, all who would profess his name, from sin into salvation. So it's no longer about Egypt into the promised land. It's about you being drawn from death to life. And those of us that have been brought from death to life, God now says, what do you have in your hand? Because what you have is what you need to do what I have called you to do. If a staff was enough for Moses and a cross was enough for Christ, I'm here to tell you what you have is sufficient to do what God has called you to do. Even if you're rejected, stop with the excuses and rise to your feet because God has called you for such a time as this. There are no excuses for the children of God. For if a staff was not an excuse for Moses and a cross was not the excuse for Christ, then you have no excuse. If God gave us his everything, we will give everything in return. Even the little bit that I have in the hands of God can accomplish miracles. Could you stand to your feet this morning?